We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Roby. I am Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. 100,000 jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. He's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Managed. Dueling Genre. Hello and welcome to the Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Fellowship of the Ring, one minute at a time. I'm Norman Mitchell. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And today we're going to be talking about Minute 119, which starts with Frodo answering the question, how's your shoulder with better than it was, and ends with Gandalf saying to Gimli, their own masters cannot find them if, if their secrets are forgotten. Yeah. Talking about dwarf doors and how they're invisible when they're closed. Yes. So this entire minute is cut from the theatrical of the movie, this mm-hmm. this whole bit. I think some of the establishing shots are still there in the theatrical for looking at Moria, but all this, a lot of this dialogue here is cut, mm-hmm. especially some of the, the snarky elf versus dwarf one-liners that we're going to get a little bit tomorrow. Tomorrow. That stuff was trimmed out of the movie for the most part, which was, had to, which was a sad cut. For some of the people who wrote the script and loved the the relationship between Legolas and Gimli. Because <laughs> we don't get a lot of establishment for it in the theatrical version of Fellowship of the Ring. And then there's a lot of it in Two Towers. Right. So without a lot of that setup, I think that it feels, I don't know, a little less important in Two Towers. It doesn't feel like it's been going on the whole time unless you see it the whole time. What, like the snarking back and forth? Yeah. Ah. Well, I think... Because it's some of the only characterization they really get in the first movie. I think that um, Gimli's prejudice is definitely illustrated in the council scene. Yes. Never trust an elf. And Legolas's response to that is to, like, you know, start yelling with everybody else. So I think that yes. is kind of a good yeah. setup. Because that line's still in the theatrical, right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, but... But there's a lot less of it in the in the theatrical right, cut yeah. of the movie than what was originally put in. And this is the last stuff that Ian McKellen filmed. He looks so tired. He does. Um, like, I like that he he plays up the pretense of like I don't know. I also it's funny to me that he asks. I mean, this was yesterday, but it's funny to me that he asks uh, Frodo to to come help an old man uh, yeah. when Frodo's like three feet tall. Uh, <laughs> also, when Frodo knows full well that you're no ordinary old man wizard. Right. right. <laughs> um, so I I like that they kind of play up the the pretense um, because I assume in the middle of their conversation 
that person that you see walking by is Boromir. Yes. And that's actually part of the reason this conversation was cut. Because they feel like it was redundant with the picking up the ring in the snow right. thing. Which is only a couple minutes before in the theatrical. That's true. So they felt like it was redundant and that they were redundant. Redundant <laughs> and that they were like kind of hammering it a little too hard. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But I really like the kind of softer character moments like this between like Frodo and Gandalf in the first half of the movie, because I feel like it makes Gandalf's death feel bigger and more poignant Mm -hmm. to have all these little character moments. And we don't have as many of them as theatrical. Right. Because we, because their conversation at the beginning of the movie is different in the theatrical. Right. And this isn't here. And this is right before Moria. But that scene, uh, that scene of them talking in Moria is still there. Yes. So that is, I think that is the one that holds a lot of weight for a lot of people. Yeah, because it's the conversation about Gollum and life and death and all that. Right. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it's it's quoted Moria again. is so quotable. It's quoted again at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, so I think that is the one, especially because it happens right before. Yeah. Uh so that I don't know I think that really underscores their relationship and everything else is like bonus yeah I don't I'm of the opinion that you can't have too many of those kind of character moments oh no I love those uh I character moments are my favorite because it adds so much more to these characters yeah and it adds levels of depth and complexity to their relationships and the way that they interact with their environment yeah and don't get me wrong i i definitely i'm i'm not like down on the theatrical version of the movie i understand that a lot of stuff is cut for pacing reasons and people don't necessarily want to sit in a theater for over three hours yeah but we did anyway for return of the king right (laughs) but by that point by that point people were hooked yeah, so exactly. you could do that because that's the conclusion. This is the very beginning. Yeah. You don't want to drive away your audience halfway in the middle of the movie. Yeah. Which I feel the Hobbit suffered from, but we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Someday. Years from now. If we're if we don't just get to the end of this trilogy and you're like, no, we're done. Someone else can do the Hobbit. <laughs> I am tired. But for now, we're planning on doing the <laughs> Hobbit. <laughs> you we can't okay. We can't not talk about the hobbit because it's so it's such a callback to these movies yeah and and we can't avoid talking about the hobbit story because it's the foundation of this one right exactly (laughs) so they are intrinsically wrapped up in each other yes indeed indeed they are i really like how dramatic gimli is when it comes to Moria, and it's like, just like the walls of Moria, and then you look at it, and it's just like a cliff. Yes, I'm like, thanks. It's not even, someone might say his people were there. It's not even pretty. That's like that's a joke for like exactly three people. Yeah, well, one of them's gonna listen, so that <laughs> I'm calling her out right now. D and D jokes. Um, I'm allowed to call on my friends anonymously on our podcast. <laughs> I was going to save it for the, the column scene, yeah. but whatever. You know, whatever. Um, we love you. Uh, <laughs> what was I? Oh, yeah. It's not even pretty. Like No, it's just rock. It's just gross, 
fog rubble rock cliff. Gross fog rubble. I honestly think the establishing shot we got we saw at the very end of last minute is a lot prettier than this one. Yes. Um and But the prettiest Mori establishment shot comes in another right, minute right, right, or right. two. But the um like the the one with the crumbling bridge. Yeah. Uh I really like that one. Um it's and so, I understand And it's so eerie, I love it. Yeah, I, I like it's really cool. It's almost like post apocalyptic um fantasy. Which is which is kind of what Moria is, right? Like the the whole idea of Moria. I mean, there's I think there's a difference between ruins like ancient ruins and post apocalyptic ruins. Um, there's like nuance, um, and Moria and all the ruins that we see in this movie are supposed to be ancient ruins, but mm. for some reason that cliff or not the cliff the the bridge that's crumbling. Yeah, gives me more of like a, like a an apocalypse. Yeah, but when you're talking about like ancient ruins in the, in terms of like Moria versus some of the other stuff we see, yeah, Moria is kind of like the more recent of the most recent of those ruins too, right? Because Moria was used as a road through the Misty Mountains for quite a long time. Mm. I'm and I, this is also think- where Celebrimbor worked i don't remember if it's where he forged the rings of power but Celebrimbor worked here okay but that was still like three thousand that was a long time ago that was even longer ago than three thousand years forging the rings of power is before that like the forging of the rings of power themselves starts quite a bit before the forging of the one ring oh okay Hmm. yeah so it's at least three thousand years ago sauron was playing the long game Right, because he's immortal. Yes. You could do that when you're immortal. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. He played the longest game there was. I guess. You know, three ages worth three of it. Three ages. But I think the reason that that bridge gives me such, like, like zombie apocalypse feels is because it looks like an overpass. Like one of those highway bridges, you know? Yeah. Um, it looks like cars should be driving on it. But it's fallen down. But it's fallen down. Yeah. But it's old and fake and dwarvish. So, like... <laughs> yes. Dwarvish. Dwarven? Dwarven. Dwarven. Dwarvish. Huh. Which are both applicable? I think... I I know dwarven. It says in the, the, the foreword of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It does say there, but I've... Uh, I feel like a feel like a bad nerd right now. Well, but I know because it's with it's a not v. dwarfish, right? It's not with a. This isn't Snow White, yeah, right? Um, they're not dwarfs; they're dwarves, right? But like, like dwarven versus dwarvish, dwarf dwarvish. I can't even say it. Yeah, but anyway, I understand the establishing shot of Moria is. Um, necessary to kind of give you an idea of the scale yeah. of Moria because that cliffside is enormous. Yes. Um, but it's not my my it's it doesn't tingle my aesthetic um radar. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I just yeah. it's not. And then there's like the lake. It's not pleasing to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, the fallen bridge is pleasing to look at in a sad way. Yeah. It's very aesthetically pleasing. 
Well, I mean, it's evocative of a fallen empire. The Moria shot is just nine dudes looking at a cliff. Yeah, it's just it's just a dwarf getting excited about rocks. <laughs> like, which I know they're rock, but they have they deep do. cultural history. That's why he's so impressed. Yeah, I guess it's like. I guess it's like taking, like, I don't know. Think of the most obscure museum and then, like, taking, like... What, like the Potato Museum? No, the Potato Museum was amazing. You have never been to the Potato Museum. Or, like, the museum at the the, the desert, the Sand Museum in the de- at the Desert of Maine? <laughs> I, I haven't been there. Um, Just, like, I don't know, like... Some random museum that you have no interest in and then bringing all your friends. Right. Or like that you are like, it's so niche that you are the only person who's excited to be there. And then your eight friends are like, uh, can we get lunch now? (laughs) Like if you go to like a big art museum and you're the only person interested in modern art. So you drag all your friends. Well, not even modern art, like the. But that kind of thing. Like you're like the only person who's interested in this one kind of art and no one else really cares. But they all kind of come with you because they're your friends. Yeah. I, I don't I don't even know like like textiles. If you get really excited about you know Rococo French uh, textiles, and then your friends are just like, "This is really stupid." Oh, <laughs> you know that person I mean? later designs costumes for movies like Lord of the Rings, right? Right, or they're really into cosplay, or just really like rugs. Right. I but you know. Like, you know, when you go to a museum and you are expecting to see, like, you know, the ancient Greek sculptures, the Renaissance, well, not Renaissance, but the... um, Someone's like, would you look at this loom? Right, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Or, um, I don't know. You're having a hard time. It's okay. I, I get really excited by museums, so I'm having a hard time trying to figure out, like, an equivocal... Um, it's like taking me to a sports museum. Uh, I see. There you go. Here's the sports ball. Right. Like, it's cool that you ran that many consecutive yards in a game. I guess. Let's go look at the photography museum across the street. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Good old hand egg. <laughs> it's like, good for you. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> yes. Good for you. You can, you can catch a ball better than most people. Right. You have better hand-eye coordination than I could ever achieve. Yes. Amazing. I could ever hope to achieve. Than I could but ever like, dream to achieve. I don't know. But if it's like ice skating, then I'm like, wow, that's amazing. But like, I don't know. Baseball. Take me to a baseball museum. I have no interest. Yeah. It's... Take an elf to a Moria. He he does not Doesn't care. care. He's like, why are we underground? Right. This is stupid. He's like a horse. He doesn't want to go underground. Right? Poor Bill. Poor Bill. Bill the Bony. We're about to say goodbye to Bill. I know. In all of his weird costume glory. Yes. Two men and a horse played (laughs) a pony. (laughs) I just want us all to realize that. Two men and a horse played a pony. Oh, man. That's never not going to be funny. Yep. Never, ever not going to be funny. I don't know if we have anything else. I uh, I, th- I think that basically covers this. 
cool. I do really like the uh, the Frodo Gandalf conversation, and I think that it does kind of drive home the idea that Gandalf kind of knows he's gonna die here. But he's like starting to put his affairs in order. And yeah, because he's so just dark. He's just like, all right, Frodo. I'm not always going to be here. You gotta no, really, I'm not always going to be. No, really, I'm going to die when we go through that door. <laughs> like, be, I don't, don't think, trust Boromir. Okay, but I don't think it's as drastic as that, though. Only trust yourself. I don't think it's as drastic as that, at that though. Like, like we were talking about yesterday. Like, um, was that yesterday or the day before? Anyway, um, when, like, I think Gandalf is doing this just in case. Mm. Not because he knows. And yes, he's very tired, uh, but I think I'd be tired after climbing up a mountain, getting avalanched on, and then climbing down a mountain, and knowing that I might die. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He also, and a lot of that, like, a lot of that weight here that I've always felt like is him knowing he's going to die is when he says to Frodo, there are many great powers in this world, some good, some evil, and some against which I have not yet been tested. That's true. I think he's, I still think he's doing it just in case. Oh, did you want to talk about Glamdring? Oh, I, uh, so through the passive hair dress stuff, we don't see Glamdring, and then it is like startlingly present again here in the foreground of a scene. Right, because you see it as he's leaving Rivendell, you see it at the heroic shot, and then you don't see it when he's casting spells or going through the snow. And now he's he's got it again. I think it's on Build a Pony. Yeah, yeah. This also just me might be one of those things where. What like, are you going to do with a sword in the snow? I don't know. He should always be ready. Make an igloo. Aragorn and Boromir are always yeah. carrying their swords. Well, yeah, but they and also it's don't not have as like the, a staff. Yeah, but as we see when we watch Kendall fight, he uses both together quite effectively. Yeah, that's true. He uses that that big sword in one hand Glamdring, really well. Where was Glamdring in? Um, uh, Isengard. I don't know. On it, well, he didn't expect a fight when he went to Isengard. That's true. He left he it on the horse. Pipe. He brought his pipe. <laughs> how did he get his How did he get his sword back? I don't know. Maybe Elrond was holding it for him. Maybe. I mean, it is an elven sword. That's true. Elven made. Elrond's like the bank and the post office. Like, <laughs> hold this for me. He's the bank. He's the post office. He's Google. He's Obamacare. Yeah. <laughs> He's everything. <laughs> Rivendell's your one-stop shop for all your, <laughs> all your utilitarian needs, all your your federal services. Yeah, he's everything. Like he's the Department of Education. <laughs> he's the, he's the Department of Health and Human Services. It's just one man departments. What an efficient government structure Rivendell has. <laughs> he does it all. Oh my god. That's so funny. He's also the Library of Congress. <laughs> he's he's a Smithsonian? Yeah. Right? <laughs> he's got everything. There's a museum in his, in his front lobby, you know? <laughs> oh, man. There's a museum I love. The Smithsonian. But anyway. <laughs> Rivendell? <laughs> Rivendell, yes. <laughs> yeah, man. R Elrond just does everything. It's everything. He, he's the Department of Homeland Security, even. <laughs> He just he just sent out his specialized team to go take care of something. Oh my god. Oh my god. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook where we have 
a listener group full of great discussion and memes, which are also great. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to separate great discussion from memes. There are great discussion and great memes. We're also on iTunes where you should leave us a five star review because that would be awesome. And it's the best way to help us get more exposure and grow our our little community. Yeah. Our our own little part of Middle Earth. Uh, as <laughs> <Right> always, <laughs> as always, a special thanks to our Patreon associate producers, Leaper182 and Ed Foster. Hope everyone has a great Thursday, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Bye.